and we're going to be looking at the topic of sanctification. Now, there's an old word for us. Does anybody want to explain that in a nutshell? Sanctification is an old biblical truth that if you get a hold of that, you will live your life for, for God with no regrets and nobody putting you down. You know who you are in the Lord, not how you feel. Does anybody feel like a Christian every day? Feel free to put your hand up. Who feels like every day? Oh, amen. Bless the youth. That sort of threw that out the window. <laughs> anybody else want to say that? Feel saved every day. Just me and these couple of girls at the front. Isn't that wonderful, girls? They've a long way to go, haven't they? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're just going to be reading this morning the first couple of verses. So Father, we just um, ask that you would come and settle our hearts this morning. Uh, God, that the Holy Spirit would come. Lord, that you would give us, Lord, both young and old, attentive ears this morning. Lord, open our hearts to the truth of this teaching of sanctification, God, and what it means to the person who comes to faith. Lord, that we would leave here, God, maybe set free a bit, built up a bit, and certainly enlightened to what your, the depths of what the, teachers, the, the Scriptures teach on the things of salvation. So we ask for, Lord, your favor this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to be looking at the Scriptures in just uh, one moment. Our topic, as I've said, is sanctification. And um, it will hopefully be up on the board in a moment. Uh, sanctification. The title is The Believer Declared Holy. Now, that's the nutshell of sanctification. The believer declared holy. That means it doesn't go by your emotions. It doesn't go how you're feeling this week. In fact, if your life is a complete mess this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're still declared holy. That's why it's important. That's why it's important because the church might reject you. That happens often, too often. Uh, your friends might reject you. That also sadly happens often. But the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. He's consistent. Thankfully, he's the same God he was right at the beginning, 2,000 years ago and today, and his word stands forever. If you're saved this morning, guess what? You're declared holy, okay? There could be somebody here in this and land in the gutter today, a backslider, and they're lying in the gutter today, and they need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. They're still declared holy. And we're going to look at that next week more, but this is the the teaching that we're looking at this morning. So we're going to be laying some foundations this morning. Uh, well, one Pacific foundation, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be considering sanctification and its fullness. There's three, there's three, um, it's a, it's a three-way progression of sanctification. Just to help you this morning, we're not going to dive into it, but we're just going to mention it. Petitional, position, positional sanctification is what we're dealing with this morning. Progressive sanctification, we're going to be looking at that next week. Now, this is an important one next week. Please do make every effort to come. This is important to help you in your personal witness and with your own life. Progressive sanctification. Then, God willing, the third week we're going to be looking at perfective. That's when we go to glory. And that's the only time you will be perfect. All right? So it's going to help you greatly. This week we're going to lay in a truth that God does for us next week, our responsibility in that. So personal sanctification, or positional sanctification, sorry, happens the moment a person comes to Christ, the moment you're saved, this is something that God does for you. This is solely an act of God in the life of the believer on behalf of the believer. It doesn't rest on you. You can say amen to that, church. It doesn't rest on you. This is a truth that the Bible teaches that God does for you in Christ. This will help you if you grasp it. And today we're going to be considering the first step, step of sanctification, which is all the work of God. And I love it when it's all the work of God. You know why? It means we can relax and we can walk in what He has done for us without feeling condemned. That's why it's important. 
doesn't matter how well you perform. doesn't matter how prestigious you are, how holy your life is this morning. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are declared holy by God. And I must warn you that next week we will learn that we too have a part to play in the sanctification process, but not this bit. This is all of God. But we do have a bit to do, and that's the progressive uh, sanctification. So, to help you with this this morning, I thought, of, I thought of it like this, that God first removes sin from us. That's today's topic. And then the journey begins, our life of faith, and we must be removed from sin. That's the sanctification process where we have to disconnect from certain things, shake off things. What's the Bible Paul say? Put on the new man. That's next week. That's just to give you a taste of what we're talking about. And there's a reason why I'm going to stop, stop reading this morning at a certain place, because I just want to deal with sanctification this morning. So let us read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so all the more. For you know what instructions we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from. And I'm going to stop there. If you read on to the next verse, you'll see why we're going to stop there. That's next week's topic. If we dive into that now, you're going to be leaving here thinking and judging yourself. But you need to get this truth first. And you're going to understand why every Christian isn't perfect. You're going to understand what it is to make disciples if you grasp this one truth. It's too often we look at people whose lives aren't right and we write them off. And that's a mistake that we all have made and I personally have made because we've got mixed up in the sanctification process. Read Corinthians, all saved and all very, very carnal. There's children here, so I don't want to say some of the things that Corinthians deals with. Such was the state of the early church where they saved absolutely were they carnal? Absolutely. Did they need to go through the sanctification process and sort a lot of stuff out in their life? 100%. So do you and I. So this morning we're looking at a simple thing and we're going to stop there, but there is abstinence. And that's the important thing of, of progressing, progressing in our walk with God. There is abstinence. So, verse 3. This is your main verse to write in your heart this morning. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In Christian theology, sanctification is an act of God, church. It's an act of God. I want you to stay with me. It's going to take a bit of persevering this morning. In Christian theology, sanctification is an act of God. He takes a repentant sinner and He declares them holy. He makes them holy. And to be sanctified and to be made holy, we are done so in the eyes of God, not of man. It also means that the believer then is set apart for God and and by God. The believer gets what I like to call a higher standing in life. Why? Because he's lifted up with a pit of sin that he wants to lay in. He's got a higher standing. The believer gets a higher calling in life. Why? Because God has saved him to serve him and not Satan no more. To live a holy life, not a life of sin. That's the difference of call being called by God. Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He became our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. It's all Him, church. Every bit of it is Him. The sanctification that's mentioned here is a one-off, all-time 
Separation of believers unto God. It's not how we perform, it's what he has done. It's the work that God has done for the sinner via the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. So we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by Christ's works on the cross. Is that simpler? We're not saved by our works, so stop trying to live up to the expectation that God has, at least in your own thinking. So what is sanctification? What is this work that God has done for each of us and in the life of every believer? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines sanctification as this, the action of making or declaring something holy. The action or process of being freed from sin or purified. The action of setting something apart to be sacred for the purpose of religious use. I think it does a good job there. If you have repented of your sin this morning and you've received Christ as your Savior, then the the courts of heaven have declared that you are holy and sinless. Not the courts of man, not the courts of this pew or this church and the people in the pews, but the courts of heaven has declared that you are holy. You see, if you get that truth, you will not be hindered from going on with God. You know them people that remind you that your life's not right yet? Do you know them people, and we can be them people, that, that we can highlight other people's short fallings, but we forget to remember that they, like us, have been made holy, not by our actions, not at all, but by God and through Christ. So, Christian, you may be struggling with sin this morning. You may be struggling with who you are as a person this morning. We don't believe what we believe through our emotions, because our emotions is unstable. Our emotions will lie to us. They'll tell us we're good when we're not good. They'll tell us we're bad when we're not bad. They'll never affirm us the way the Bible affirms us. They can't be trusted. We believe what God says, because that's what matters, ultimately. And He says that in Christ you have been purified and free from sins, freed from sin's grip. You're sanctified by God and declared holy by God. And this is His church that we're speaking about. And the church is now set apart. What are we set apart for? Much things, but three wee simple things as a light for the gospel, as hope for others. A vessel for good works. How's our works going? A vessel for good works. And a fellow laborer in the kingdom of God. How's our workmanship going? And this is all of the work of God in you and in me. For this is the will of God, the will of God, your sanctification. It's the will of God and the work of God. Is that clear so far? That's our wee simple introduction just to fly us off this morning. Our sanctification, church, means that we have been given a new life in Christ, a clean sheet. Have you ever been given a clean sheet? A clean sheet. That's what God has given you. And the Bible says, every day, each and every day, there's new mercy. There's new forgiveness. A clean sheet every day, church. Why? Because He has declared you holy. Now, our first point this morning, if anybody's taking notes this morning to help you, is a new beginning. And this is to help you understand what sanctification does for you personally. It's a new beginning. Romans 12 say that the Christian is now a living sacrifice, declared holy and acceptable to God. See, in Christ we get a new beginning, we get a new start, we get a new life. And this is the work of God in us the moment we're saved. And now you may not feel holy today, but that's your old flesh. Your old flesh does not understand or able to comprehend the things of God. It's a reason we have to die, because this flesh has to go. 
It has to be buried. There has to be a new body created. This is the work of God in us, that we are holy. And as I said, you might not feel holy, but God has declared you holy. That's the doctrine of sanctification. Now, your situation today might be a bit of a mess. There might be things going on in your life that you feel you cannot share, or maybe has been shared, and the world knows, and you've been rid off. It doesn't matter what I see, and in my opinion, that if your life is a complete mess at this present time, you are declared holy by God, and that's called biblical theology. It's not called emotions. It's not called what I understand about you. It's what the Bible says that you are. Does that make sense? It's biblical theology. Yes, your life's a mess. It might be a mess. It might not be a mess. Someday it is, someday it isn't. It doesn't alter the fact of who you are and what the Bible teaches about you. In Leviticus 20, God says to Israel, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. God knew that Israel couldn't do this. For I am the Lord your God. See, Israel, in order to be holy, had to offer a sacrifice. They had to be sanctified before God, and they had to do this often, all the time. And today we get to look at the, the Lord Jesus Christ, that once and only sacrifice upon the cross. And it's there that we are sanctified. It's there that we are declared holy before God for the rest of our life. Not just for today, but as we played well. For the rest of our lives. And what a truth. Listen, without sanctification, church, there's no salvation. Because it's all of God. If you're saved here this morning, do you think you're worthy of it? Of course not. Well, why do you think we're worthy of our sanctification? Why do we think that we can live up to the standard of holiness that God requires when we can't? That's why he made us holy. I want to tell you about a verse that we often hear quoted, maybe not so much, I suppose, later days. Hebrews 12, 14. And Paul says this, Pursue peace with all people. Remember last week we spoke about forgiveness. Then he goes on and says this, And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. There's a holiness that, is, that if you do not obtain and do not have, you will not see the Lord. What we know about Scripture is that sin has no place in the presence of God. And this text in Hebrews 12, it's speaking about the new Jerusalem at the end of age, the new earth, as the Bible teaches in Revelation, where God is going to dwell with man. It's a picture of what Eden was before the fall. And at this time, we're going to see that only those who are holy are going to see the Lord. Listen to what Revelation 21, 27 says. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor moral, anyone who does what is detestable or false in the eyes of God. So the Scripture tells us that, that righteousness is going to fill this new earth when God comes back and everything's restored. And Scripture tells us that, that righteousness will fill this new earth and that sin will have no part in it. So when Paul says to the church, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord, what he is saying to the church is only those who are saved will have a place there. Only those who are saved is going to have a place there and see the Lord. It's only the, the redeemed, the righteous, are going to have eyes to see the righteousness of God. And John says in Revelation 20, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible teaches us that this is the destiny of the wicked, the Bible calls them, the unholy, those who reject Christ, the unsaved, those who die in their sins to help us understand, those who die without Christ. But those who are saved, the Scriptures teach, 
are accepted by God. There's a key word, accepted by God in Christ. So sanctification means we're set apart, we're declared holy and accepted before God. And those who are sanctified will see him and dwell with him in this new heaven and new earth. And if you're not saved today, I want to just say this, that a new beginning is available for you. It's the good news of the gospel. We all know what it is to be in our sin here this morning. We weren't born singing, Come by Amal, Lord. And I say this often for a reason. We were all saved at different times and different points in life from different situations. But if you're not saved this morning, there is a new beginning that is available for you. All you need to do is look to Christ and let him deal with your sin. Let him deal with it. And if you asked him, the Bible says that he will save you. And your name indeed will be written in this heavenly book. And you will have your place in this new earth. It doesn't matter how big a sinner you have been in your life. What good news. But Christ is able to take away your sin and declare you holy. But here's the thing. You alone must ask him this morning to be saved. And that brings us to our second point. Our second point is a new beginning offered to all. Offered to everyone and anyone. That might surprise some. There's none too far gone. And many, there's some very far gone. Sanctification comes from God. That means that we don't get to sit on our judgment throne and say who can or can't be saved. And thank God it doesn't because very few of us would be saved this morning. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, God promises to keep his church blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's work in your life. It's all his doing. And sanctification comes by the Holy Spirit in our lives. 2 Corinthians 2 says that sinners are sanctified by the Holy Spirit that God is sent to be in us. So who can be sanctified? Who can be declared holy and set free from the burden of their sin? It's open to everyone, every one of us this morning, every one of our family members, those in our towns. It's open to everyone. But I want to just draw out a simple point with this truth. In 2 Peter 3 and 9, we read that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge, the truth, and be saved. So salvation here is offered to the world. God desires that all people be saved. But listen, this is important because the Bible speaks truth. We know that God desires that all people be saved. But according to God's word, God clearly recognizes that not everyone will come to faith and be saved. He's not the wee sugar daddy God that we think he is and we're all okay. And it'll all work out in the end. The scripture is very clear in our present situation before God and the situation we need to get ourselves into. And that's a holy situation. Sanctification makes a sinner acceptable to God. Many today don't believe that that, 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 that is true. Many believe that God will simply accept them just as they are. Have you heard that before? It's who I am. It's the way I was born. God will accept me who I am. Why do I need to change? I can't change. This is who I am. And therefore, I will accept God in my grounds. Well, there's an element of truth in that because the Scriptures say that we are all born in sin. So on one point, I guess, we were born like this. We are born in sin as sinners. We needed a Savior. But the truth that isn't right in this, or the, the thing that's not right in this statement is that God will not accept us just as we are. See, our sin needs to be dealt with so we can be saved and the wrath of God removed against us, which is common upon the world against sin. But here's a wee truth for us. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13, 
Enter you by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, many, it says. This is what's known as the broad road of sin. Verse 14, Jesus says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are very few. An interesting statement. So what does Jesus mean that the gate that leads to life is narrow? It means that there's only one way for man to be saved. And it's a big wide open gate, by the way, it's for the whosoever, but it's a narrow road, it's only his way. There's only one way. It means there's only one way to be saved. And today, as we all know, like, like every other generation, there's many different religions. And what I come across as I was studying this was that in 2016, Pope Francis uh, was on the news. He, he made a statement. He was speaking to a room full of religious leaders from many different faiths. And he says this, Brothers, we're all children of God and always lead to God. I wonder, do you believe that this morning? In other words, there is one God, but there's many ways that lead to salvation. And as they all sat there, they seemed to be happy with that statement. These are leaders of all the big world faiths. They sat there and they all accepted this truth. And you're sitting here this morning and you've got a choice to accept this truth as well. They all seemed happy and there was unity in the room, I'll say that. But this statement is not the narrow gate that leads to life that Jesus speaks about. That statement, in fact, is the broad road of destruction that leads people to that place called hell and the loss of their souls. The only thing that you own and I own is our soul. Everything else is going to be willed off to somebody. And if you haven't your will done yet, maybe you want to consider it. Because we're not taking any of it with us. But one thing that we own is our soul. One thing. That's it. One thing. And it can be lost. The narrow gate that leads to life is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me show you how I know that. In John 10 and 9, Jesus himself says this, I am the gate. It can't be any more clear. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There are not many ways to be sanctified, to be declared holy and saved in the eyes of God. There is one way that people may be saved. Jesus again in John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, to God, except through me. So there's only one way to be saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a way that's open to everyone. We know that there's and open for everyone, but John 3:16, we know it very well, for God so loved that whosoever believes in the Son will not perish. So there's a new beginning offered to all that whosoever, for those who die in their sin, the scriptures say, will perish. And those who die in Christ, the scriptures tell us, will have eternal life. Simple wee truths, simple wee doctrines that if we don't get these right in our life, we too could find ourselves lost, or not personally lost, leading other people into eternal damnation. So what road are you on today is a question you must personally ask yourself. If you're not confessing Christ as your Savior, then you're stood in the broad road. It's as simple as that, and you can be on that narrow road by coming to faith today through Christ and through Christ alone. So that brings us to our third point, a new nature. I love this truth, a new nature, because as nobody knows who we were like ourselves. Nobody knows the wee detestable man or woman that we once were before we came to faith. But we know, and we know this new nature that we have within us. The believer's sanctification process is an amazing work of God in the life of a godless sinner. 
And according to Hebrews 10.10, the sanctification happens in the life of a believer instantly the moment they're saved. And it can never be taken away from us. That's why I say to you that if your life's a mess this morning, if things didn't turn out perhaps the way you thought they did, and maybe everybody else has cut you off, God hasn't. Biblical theology teaches that you're still His, you're still righteous, you're still holy in His eyes. Now next week, if you're listening, we can get you back into the place you need to be. But this week is a truth of God. If you've come to faith, things happen. It doesn't alter who you are and your standing with God. Our sanctification happens instantly the moment we're saved. The Bible says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's enough for me. Once and for all, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the moment you came to faith, God began to develop a new Christ-like nature in you. Now there's evidence of this, and the Bible says there's fruit, you'll know them bad. So there's evidence of our sanctification here this morning, and it should be clearly seen in us. <coughs> Excuse me, for a man who meets Christ and comes to faith is never the same than he was before he met him. He's changed. He or she is changed. A new man, a new heart, new desires, and a new nature. What I see in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, is there's, there's a departure from the sinner and the sinful life. That means that the areas and the circles we once walked in, we start to depart from them, the Bible says. And then there's a departure from sin in our own life. With our new nature comes a new desire to worship. And we see this with Psalm 122, King David. And David says this, I was glad when they said to, me, said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now there's something in this. I don't know if you've observed of late, but this last several years, what, what I have noticed all around is there's, there's been certain individuals and something's happened in their life there's been some sort of encounter with God. They would say they're saved. But nothing seems to change. We need to be careful that we're not, we're not doing pure evangelism. We, we need to be careful that we're not ushering somebody into the kingdom of heaven, but we're really not. Because I can understand it. Because I know when I acknowledge my sin before God, when I repented of it and asked Him to, to, to just do what He has to do and to save me, my life changed some 20 years ago. And you know this. Many of you know this in your own life. But what has happened of late? Well, there seems to be a lack of change, a lack of desire, a lack of people going on for the Lord Jesus. And, and, and even, I read a survey recently in a total decline in prayer meetings. And we as a church have tackled that head on. We know about that. We've tackled it head on to try and make it more accessible and applicable to our culture. But should we have to? These are questions that I, I ask, and not to condemn, but to, to, to encourage you to know that you are saved and to keep going in it because there's people who something has happened but something's not right. As David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I've seen people come to faith that don't want to go to church. In fact, they don't go to church. Now, it's a different sermon for a different day, but do we want to ask these questions? Are these people truly saved? Are you truly saved? Am I truly saved? What is the evidence of it? Have I departed from my old ways? Am I still living a life of sin? Do I desire to be in the house of God? Because there should be these evidence within us. Because the believer desires to worship the Lord, and he or she wants to be where God is. And God is often found among his people, because God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, what a contrast 
to what Paul says in Hebrews. Let us not neglect meeting together as at the habit of some. Now listen, we're not talking about the, the Christian that doesn't go to church every week now and again. Or text. We're, we're not talking about that. Paul's talking about something much deeper than the odd Sunday where somebody decides to go to the beach. Okay? It's deeper than that. That is a habit of some. And Paul, I believe, is referring to some people who have come to faith, but they, they seem to neglect the, 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 the evidence of it in their life. They're not bought in. They're not at the meetings. They're, they're, they're not doing things that God's people do. Do you see? And I believe this is a truth that's pulled out. But the believer who loves the Lord will desire to worship the Lord and therefore be found in the things of God with the people of God. They too will say, like David, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, are we saying we need to say that every week? Of course not. Let's not fool ourselves. There's times we have to fight ourselves. But generally within our spirit, there's a desire to be where the people of God is in the place of God. So there will accompany our salvation evidence of a new nature. There'll be a turn away from wickedness, There'll be a desire to be in the meeting house of God, dwelling in the presence of the Lord. There'll be a desire to live a life of purity. It's one thing that I often noticed how I feel. we fail so, so, so much in this area, but like Paul, we desire to do these things. And Paul says, the things I desire to do, what he said, I didn't do them. The things I didn't want to do, I found myself doing them, Paul says. So, but there's evidence of a new nature. It's not a perfect nature. Hence, our sanctification is a process. Paul's was a process. So is yours. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So why do we desire to please God all of a sudden? Why do we mourn in our spirit when we find ourselves sinning? Because God has sanctified us and made us holy. That's why. And the reason we want to be holy is because in him we are holy. It's all the work of God in us. I think I've said enough. It's a difficult topic. The reason you feel like you're holy you want to be holy, but you feel like you're not holy is because of that work that God has begun in your life. So I'm going to ask the team to come. I'm conscious of this was a, a topic that you're going to have to process a wee bit this morning. But it's all the work of God in our life. Christian, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're a wee bit shipwrecked. Or maybe you've just been playing along and you've held it well, but somewhere in yourself you think to yourself, am I even saved? Well, the Bible says that God has declared you holy. Nothing to do with your works. Nothing to do with your own self-righteousness. Now, I want to just pray into our hearts as we continue on in our service here. Next week, if I said you were going to be considering how we wrestle with sin, and it'll be a lot, it'll be a more simpler topic next week because we've done a bit of work this week. We can deal with stuff that's still going on in our life because we know the truth of what this has said this week. So you mightn't be living well this week. And we're going to touch that next week, but you're not going to feel condemned because you're going to see that not every Christian is living well yet because we make disciples, church. We make disciples. Because we're going to welcome people in whose lives are broken, whose lives are messed. There's going to be Christians sitting in these pews whose lives aren't going to be right in your eyes. We're going to have to make disciples. What does discipleship mean? We teach people to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, and we build up a life that glorifies Him. It takes time. It takes time. I can see 20 years, and I'm still as raw. You might have noticed. And next week, we're going to look with a bit of doctrine in our thinking of why we can say to somebody, listen, your life may not be right, but let's get it right. 
The first thing is salvation. Do you understand? Is that amen? Is that right, church? It's amen if you understand that simple truth. When God begins a work, he's declared righteous. Next week, we're going to be looking at things like fornication. We're going to be things at like lying and, and drinking and, and all these different things that we, we think when a man comes to faith, he's instantly changed, got a nice suit on. But inside, he's ripped apart because he doesn't fit in anymore. So church, if God's going to add to this church that we're praying he will, I want to make sure that this congregation's taught, that we know how to deal with them. And if they're saved, and if their life has fallen into a mess, and things hasn't turned out the way they've wanted them to turn out, that we don't send them out that door condemned. And back to the pub, where the pub welcomes them, by the way. They're all welcome that way, and I was at all welcome, and they were taking the money off them. There was drunk people going home broke that night. You see? So, Father, we thank you for your word, God. And, Lord, it's, it's one thing to preach and try to teach, but, Lord, when we bring reality to it, Lord, how poor theology has sent many, many people into the world, people who are your people. And Father, I pray that as a church you would, Lord, educate us this morning, equip us to be disciple-makers, that, Father, we would see past the nonsense, that we would see the man or the woman that's broken with sin, and, Lord, through the wisdom and through the Bible, that we would build them back up to the people who they ought to be in Christ. Father, we thank you that we ourselves this morning can can understand what it's not that easy, Lord, to be holy every day. In fact, we don't be holy every day at all. It's only because God has declared us holy that we can even dare say it. We thank you for that victory that we have obtained in Christ, victory over sin. Glory to God. Lord, we might fall today, but we can still claim victory because Christ has claimed victory. He was tempted in all things, yet he sinned not. Hallelujah. And it's in him that we trust. One who is perfect. One who alone is righteous. One who alone is worthy. It's only him can throw the stone in the glass house, God. And we thank you for that humble truth that, Lord, only for you to turn us holy, Lord, we're nothing but filthy people. But, Lord, we're not this morning. We are on higher ground. We've got a higher calling. We are indeed sanctified and declared holy by God. Hallelujah, church. Is the wonderful what a what a way to come around the table this morning.